0: At this time, we're going to go into a time of the word. If you joined us last week, you would be aware that we began a new two-part series entitled Testing Times. In fact, I should have tested you by asking you what the title of the series um, was and still currently is. I mentioned it was a short series. It's only two parts. So we started it last week and we are concluding it. This week, but for those of you who were unable to join us uh, last week, just to give you a quick recap of what we covered last week. Last week, we started the series with a message that was entitled, Are You Being Tested? Are You Being Tested? and we looked at the fact that in life, life itself can test us, we looked at the fact that people could test us, and we looked at the fact that God Himself also does test us, and that testing is very much indeed a biblical concept. We then went on to ask the question, okay, if God tests us, if life tests us, if people test us, what is the purpose of the tests? Why are we tested? And in doing so, we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that reminds us that we are tested to see that our faith is genuine, to see that when it's tested by fire, it will come out gold. We looked at the fact that it's easy to praise God when things are going good, it is easy to run to God when things are going bad. But whether things are going good or whether things are going bad, do we stay faithful to God through it all? We also learnt a number of things about tests as a whole, which I will run through very quickly. We, re- we learned that tests reveal whether you are growing or whether you're stagnant in your faith. We understood and learned that we must be prepared and ready for tests at all times. I alluded to the fact that in the academia world, you get to prepare and revise for a test that has an allotted date assigned to it. But in life, life, God, people can test you at any given time, so you have to revise and apply what you have learned in your Christian walk till date in that given moment. We also understood that a failed test means a reset and a passed test means a new level. And where the tests are past the levels get higher as well because God will reward each one according to his work. And of course, you can catch the podcast on our website, you can catch the video from last week as well on our website in order to hear and understand more pertaining to that. Today, the title of my series, as we conclude uh, this series, the short two part series, is Tests You Will Face. And as always, and as I do every week, I'm going to ask you to turn to those that you are doing church with this morning and tell them we're going to talk about tests you will face. If you're by yourself, look in the mirror and tell yourself, hmm, we're going to talk about tests you will face. And of course, for everyone tuning in online, please put in the comments, hashtag tests you will face. A lot of the points that I'm going to be speaking on today actually um, happened to align with some of the things that have been in the news and in the media of recent. Many of you don't need me to tell you that we've seen um, a number of different injustices that have been taking place in our day-to-day world and namely so we've uh, seen acts of racism um, that that are not acceptable and never will be acceptable uh, taking place in our day-to-day world and a lot of what I'm going to say today and a lot of the examples that I have are going to relate to what's been happening in our world of reason but I'd like you to turn in your Bibles please to our foundation scripture for this series which is taken from John chapter 6 verses 5 to 6 and of course as always I am reading from the New King James Version unless otherwise stated. John chapter 6 Verses 5 to 6 reads as follows. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said, this he said to test him. This he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. The reality is, is that we will face many tests in life. We will. But today I want to bring three tests that you will face to your attention. You might be facing them now. If you're not, you certainly will be in the days to come. And should you be taking note, please pay careful attention to these tests that you will face. The first test, that I want to bring to your attention this morning that you will face is the test of doing. The test of doing. In the scripture that we just read, our foundational scripture in John 6 verses 5 to 6, the disciples had a predicament ahead of them. They had thousands of people who were hungry and yet had no food. And I wonder if Jesus tested Philip to see if Philip was simply someone who would bring problems, but not have solutions to those problems. I wonder if he was testing whether Philip had the intention to do something about the predicament at hand, or if he was just one to complain and talk about the problem at hand. Because you see, talking is one thing and typically talking is easy, but doing something sometimes can be hard. And I just want to say that we are living in a day and age where social media, social media has given people an avenue to say a lot about everything, even though they may know little about those things that they are talking about. Social media has created an avenue for people who may know very little to say a lot about everything and the reason why people do this is because social media is a direct route to market and what I mean by that is that if there was some form of qualification that was required to be studied or undertaken before one could post content and views online the chances are very few people or not many people rather would go through the hassle of doing that for the purposes of delivering content and speaking. But because that is not required, because at the touch of our button, at the tips of our fingertips, we can go online and we can say anything and everything, people are doing just that in our day-to-day world today. And right now, in light of racial injustice that we are seeing, we are seeing black people who are hurt, who are traumatized, who are emotional and distraught in light Of racism, and that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. But what I want to say is this talking about racism and raising awareness is fantastic and something we should do. However, we must go beyond talking, we must be people who do. And I wonder how many people who are talking about the recent injustices that we've seen are going to go back to life as normal in the weeks to come. I wonder how many people who are protesting are actually going to seek what they can do in order to influence change in the long run. Because talking is one thing, but doing is another. And many people in life talk, but not many people Do And there are three reasons that I wanna give to you as to why a lot of people talk, but they do not do. The first reason is simply this, because compassion is costly. Compassion is costly. In the same way a few weeks ago, I highlighted the fact that gratitude is costly, compassion is also costly, because compassion costs you time, it costs you energy, it costs you finances, it costs you resources. This is why Jesus said, go the extra mile. He said, go the extra mile because he wants us to do more than the average Joe. He wants us to do more than what the average person would do. But in doing so, it's going to cost you. We are talking about the same Jesus who traveled all the way to Samaria for the purposes of one woman. He said, I must go through Samaria all for the purposes of meeting one woman. Jesus wasn't like many preachers and teachers and leaders today who would want to know how many people are going to be in attendance before deciding whether to come and speak. He traveled a long way for one woman. And we know it was a far journey. We know it was a wearisome journey for the very fact that the Bible tells us that when he got there, he perched himself up against the well. He sent his disciples away to get food and asked this woman for a drink because the Bible tells us he was tired. Compassion. you, but he was willing to go out of his way for the purposes of one woman. People are willing to talk but are they willing to go the extra mile and I want to challenge you specifically those of you who are members of the Cornerstone Church. I want to challenge you by asking you this question, what are you doing? In the light of many injustices that we are seeing taking place in and around us, what are you doing? Oh, Pastor Kay, you know, I think that we should do something about knife crime. Okay, well, when we as a church decided to partner with Felton Young Offenders Institute and we asked for mentors to mentor a generation to stop them from being unproductive and going into a life of knife crime, did you volunteer? Oh, Pastor Kay, I think the church, you know, we should do something about homelessness. When we've been partnering with Thames Reach for the last three to four years and given each and every church member an opportunity to go on a homeless outreach any day of the year with the offer to be picked up and dropped home, how many times, if any, did you volunteer? Oh, Pastor Kay, we should be doing this about injustices, but where were you when we went down to see the asylum seekers at Barry House? You couldn't take half a day off work to go and reach out to asylum seekers, but you will take half a day of work to get to the Beyonce concert early. Where are your values when it comes to compassion? Talking is one thing, doing is another thing. The second reason why people don't do is because people become desensitized to what they're seeing going on around them. Let's be honest, how many times have we seen an advert, an appeal, or a homeless person that comes to us or approaches us, or we see on the TV and we're moved by compassion. But then as time goes on and we hear stories about what they did with the money or how the homeless person we gave money to went and spent it on drugs or on alcohol that they wanted to drink and misuse, do we become desensitized to that whole thing of reaching people as a whole. We become desensitized, and sometimes that stops us from moving forward. But in doing so, it actually at the same time stops those who genuinely, genuinely need help from getting help. And thirdly, another reason why people talk and not do is because people become overwhelmed with the challenges and the injustice that they see happening in and around them day in, day out. Let's be honest. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed that you thought, you know what, this is a massive problem that my simple prayers wouldn't help, only for you to pray and then you see the problem reoccurring in society and therefore become discouraged? Let's be honest, we have all been there at times and as a result, resorted back to our own world, back to our own personal agenda. And is it possible that Philip was overwhelmed with the situation at hand and Jesus was testing to see whether in the midst of being overwhelmed he would be willing to do something over nothing. Something over nothing knowing that the smallest thing could end up making the biggest changes as it was for the case of the disciples. They found a boy with some bread and some fish and maybe you had that for breakfast this morning and they probably thought, hey, this is a small thing. This is not going to make a difference to the thousands of people in need. But thank God that level of thinking did not stop them from doing because it was the very thing that would be multiplied to feed the masses. If everyone says my oneself or my one donation or one part is not going to make a difference, then no one will ever get the help that they need. You might not be able to reach everyone, but you are able to reach someone. And if each one reaches one and each one decides to do and not just talk, we can create change. After all, we stand by the word of God, which tells us to be doers and not hearers alone. And please, 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 may I just say, let us not only be willing to do when it comes to things pertaining to us. This week, I've had discussions and debates with people online simply because I said and highlighted that pastors and leaders preaching this very Sunday should be led by the spirit and not by their emotions. And if they don't feel led to talk on what's been happening in the media in the last few days, that they can do that in another context and should stick to preaching what they want to preach. And people have said, oh, well, I think that, you know, you don't need to be led. And I think that the church should be talking about it on Sundays and churches should be doing this. But here's my question to you. When Boko Haram kidnapped the girls, were you as passionate about us talking about that on Sunday as you are us racism? When Asian people, specifically Chinese people, were being racially attacked and abused under the guise that they brought coronavirus to this country? Were you speaking out saying we should talk about that on Sunday? When 39 Vietnamese people died in the back of a lorry, were you speaking out and saying we should talk about that? When we see sex trafficking, when we see abuse taking place, paedophilia taking place, you weren't as passionate about us talking about it on Sunday, And I, I, I sometimes don't get some Christians because they will complain that, oh, we should not be moved by emo- our emotions. We should, you know, pr- preach as, as the Holy Spirit leads. But then when there's something pertaining to us, oh no, you don't need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You should just address the matter. Which one is it? Or is it that now that it's pertaining to you, it becomes a big thing. And therefore you're complaining that others are not standing up for what you believe. But do you stand up for what others believe? Because let me tell you this, Jesus dislikes all injustice. He doesn't segregate racism from injustice as a whole. He hates and dislikes injustice as a whole. And that includes racism, that includes abuse, that includes trafficking. And we need to be people who don't just get caught up in our emotions, but actually get caught up in doing And may I add, if some of us were as passionate about the gospel as we have been racism, then maybe we would have a heart about injustice as a whole and not just the injustice that pertains to us. In fact, if some of us spoke and shared the gospel as much as we have spoken about injustice over the last few days pertaining to racism and we saw the gospel spread like this pandemic has spread, trust me, we would see a revival in this land. If people had come to me and said, listen, we should be talking about gospel and we should be talking about evangelizing and reaching our neighbors in in need with the good news of the gospel. If people were only as passionate about that as they were in justice, then trust me, we would see revival in our land. And let me just add once again, and I'll be honest In saying this, I'm somewhat concerned that I find people who are very quick to talk about what the church should and shouldn't be doing in this situation when they don't do that in any other sphere. I mean, if you sit down with a medical doctor, you respect the fact that they've studied for seven years and in them giving you medical terms, you listen because you appreciate the work that they have undertaken in order to share what they're sharing with you. Likewise, if a lawyer has studied their course and they're giving you information on the law, you pay attention and you appreciate that. But somehow when it comes to ministry, we don't respect that people have been in ministry 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years and we still think we know what is right. And it's so often that I find that people who have little To no experience of church leadership, to be the first people who are quick to speak about what they think the church should do rather than trust their leaders and pray for their leaders during this time. Listen to me the church is the house of Lord, it is not the house of Lords. Let's not get caught up in debating about this and that and miss the bigger picture as we should be focusing on doing. Someone said the test of doing. Here's the second test you will face, the test of forgiving. The test of forgiving. Now I won't say too much about this. I hope not to anyway because I want to address the issue of forgiveness in a whole separate message, and possibly series later in the weeks to come because it is vital to the Christian faith. However, I do want to share a story with you pertaining to the Christian faith and more specifically, rather, this issue of forgiveness. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with a friend. They began as a colleague and later on become a friend. And they told me, sadly, that they have disassociated themselves with the Christian faith and Christians as a whole due to the level of judgment and unforgiveness she found from her experience of being a Christian and being amongst other Christians. And I was personally reminded of that discussion today based on an incident that we saw took place this week. For those of you who are not familiar with what I'm talking about, there was a a church leader, a church pastor of a well-known famous big church here in London who made a comment that I totally agree was wrong, was naive and was out of place. But what I found interesting is that though he had the humility to publicly apologise, all of the comments post his apology that I saw online, bar one or two, were still being combative, were still being attackive. Only one or two were like, oh, he's made a mistake, like we all make mistakes, let's forgive and move on and not get distracted. In fact, some of the comments went on to attack this pastor personally. I saw a comment saying, well, you know, I've always wondered about this man. He's dodgy. He's this. He's that. I don't like his preaching style and so on and so forth. And I looked in it and I thought, wow, isn't that something? You felt this way in your heart all this time and you were just simply waiting for an opportunity to express it. I read a Bible that says that if one of us sin, we should cover our brothers. But yet, when this man made a mistake, I saw other church leaders posting it online when they should have been reaching out and maybe having a discussion. I imagined what it would be like if I wasn't a Christian on the outside looking in. I couldn't believe some of the comments that I was seeing. And isn't it funny how sometimes we are quick to disagree with people in public, but we're very slow to agree with them in public. We want to shame and name and debate and discuss publicly with them. But when they do something they agree with or we agree with, we do that in private instead of in public. Isn't it funny how we're ready to point the finger at people rather than actually realise that we're all humans and we make mistakes? Isn't it interesting how we live in a day and age where people remember the negative over the positive? Isn't it interesting that we live in a day and age where people are no longer for people as they are for what people are for? In case you missed that, let me break it down to you so that you understand. A pastor friend of mine was once discouraged at the state of his church and I said that for some people you've got to understand the church is like an airport people go to an airport as long as you are flying where they want to go as long as you're taking them where they want to be but the moment you stop flying to their destination they had no loyalty to the airport and so they would go and find another airport And it's interesting because many of us these days, we are only loyal to people based on where they're taking us. Hence, when they make a mistake, we're quick to point the finger, but we're not loyal to them as a whole. And you will be tested with the test of forgiving when it comes to what people do to you personally and when it comes to the injustices that we see around us. And if we keep backbiting at one another, if we keep holding unforgiveness in our heart towards one another, then let me tell you this, a kingdom divided amongst itself will not and cannot stand. And we can't do anything in society if we can't be one within our body. The test of forgiving is your ability to see how Jesus treated the woman at the well. It is to see how Jesus treated the adulterous woman and exercise forgiveness likewise. Not just to read on forgiveness and become distracted from the bigger picture. Not just to pose images and videos that provoke raw feelings in one another under the guise of bringing awareness to a situation that you haven't even prayed against or about. In fact, in light of recent racist attacks, can you say of those who have called such like Jesus, forgive them for they know not what they do? Can you reach into the depth of your heart and say, Lord, on behalf of Derek Chauvin, on behalf of J.A. Kung, on behalf of Tao, on behalf of Thomas Lane, forgive these four officers for they know not what they do. Isn't that and shouldn't that be your prayer as you pray for justice in society? Shouldn't you be like Jesus who says that we should love our enemies because it's easy to love those who love us and you will be tested in the area of love and forgiveness against hate and grudges. And let me tell you this, the reason why Jesus said we should love our enemies is because racism doesn't take him by surprise injustice doesn't take him by surprise in fact we see racism in the bible turn with me to numbers chapter 12 verses 1 to 8 it says this then miriam and aaron spoke against moses listen why listen why because of the ethiopian woman he had married why for he had married an ethiopian woman So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. This is a blatant example of racism. They spoke against him. Why? Because he had married an Ethiopian woman. And then they go on in verse two to say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Which by the way is what people do in the church today out of pride and rebellion. Well, does God only speak to the pastor? Does he only speak to the pastors and leaders? Does he not speak to me as well? Especially when preachers, guest preachers, or guest artists are given a time slot. I went on because the Holy Spirit led. Oh, no, but this was the time given. Oh, does God only speak to them? Does he not speak to me? Y'all don't want to get me started. And the rest of the scripture says now the man, Moses, was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? To cut a long story short, as a result of their racist actions, Miriam actually would go on to become a leper. And in doing so, Aaron cries out on her behalf before God to show mercy and justice towards her. And he does, but only after a period of time of paying the consequences for her racial actions. But here's what I want to say to you. You might be discouraged at the injustice that you're seeing happening around you, that you cannot specifically do something directly about. You might be able to do something indirectly that will affect it directly but maybe you're upset because you wish you could do something directly that you cannot I want to tell you that God sees the injustice as he heard even though Moses wasn't there in the same way he hears and sees the injustices that are taking place in and around us and he will reward each one according to his works good or bad so please be encouraged that God is in control and the ultimate rewarder of men. And here's my third and final point for you this morning. You will be tested in the test of doing. You'll be tested in the test of forgiving. You will be tested in the test of being. The test of being. Being present in his presence. Being still, being centred in him, in the midst of everything that is happening in and around us And the storms that may be taking place in your life. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1 to 3, tells us, God is our refuge and strength. A very present, not past, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, even though there are challenges in society, even though there is a pandemic taking place, and though the mountains be carried away into the mist, be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, we ought to be still and know that this earth is his footstool. In verses 10 and 11 of that verse of that same Psalm chapter 46, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You see the test of being is about standing firm in your faith in the midst of what has been an unexpected and unprecedented 2020 thus far. Whether it's been from the get-go and the deaths that we've seen of celebrities like Kobe Bryant at the beginning of the year right up until today and the injustices and the pandemic that we are in the midst It's about your ability, irrespective of the overwhelming comments and posts on social media and people trying to feed negativity into your life and into your mind. It's the ability to guard your heart with all diligence in light of that. It is the ability to be like David in Psalm chapter 62, verses 5 to 8, who says, My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him, not from man, not from the government, from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Not in some at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Silah, which means pause. Take a moment, think, reflect. God is a refuge for us. Can I encourage you now is a time for believers to stand firm in their beliefs, to be reassured in their conviction during these testing times and to pass the tests that God, people and life throws your way including the test of doing, forgiving, and being. A lot of the examples that I've given you today are in reference to things that are going on in our day-to-day world. But the tests of doing, forgiving, and being are not just about what's happening in our day-to-day world as it is what's happening in your day-to-day world. Maybe there are things that God has told you to do, but you have been acting in disobedience and you need to pass that test. Maybe the test of forgiving for you is to call that estranged friend, that estranged parent, that estranged spouse, to seek peace, to pursue peace, to apologize, but you've let pride get in the way. Maybe the test of being for you is really putting you in a place where you're looking at everything that's going on. You're walking in fear and God is showing you actually your faith is not where and how it should be. And this test of being is something that you need to pass. You need to get to a place where you stand firm in me. It relates to us in a number of different ways. But do remember, like I said to you last week, for every test that we fail, a reset is required. My prayer is that as you face the tests of doing, forgiving and being, that you will pass these tests in order to prevail and move on, move forward. And be strong in your walk with God. In Jesus name. Shall we bow our heads wherever we are this morning. And will you just say Lord when the tests of life come my way. Whether it's through people. Whether it's through life itself. Whether it's through you. Let my faith be found genuine. And as pure as gold once tested by fire. Lord in the areas that I need to do and not just talk. Let me step out and be a doer of the word and not the hearer of the word only. In areas that I need to forgive, give me the courage and the boldness to seek reconciliation, to seek restoration, and even to forgive myself of the things that I've held against myself, where your word says that you wash away our sins as white, as snow into the sea of forgetfulness. And Lord, where I have not been able to be still in your presence, but have allowed anxiety and fear to get ahead of me, I come before you asking you to forgive me, knowing that you did not give me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a soundness of mind. May that be your prayer. In Jesus' name.